Could you imagine taking communion and taking it the wrong way and dying as a result of it? Yeah, that's exactly what we actually see in 1 Corinthians about some of the people abusing the Lord's table. So let's dive in and understand what exactly is this all about. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and let's get into it. Well, hey there, my friends. Welcome to Stand Strong in the Word podcast. Jason Jimenez with you guys, as always, blessed to be with you as we continue our study here in 1 Corinthians 11. And the whole purpose of why we do this podcast is to help you guys love God's Word, stand strong in it, use it in your daily life, in decision-making, in relationships with other people. This is why we gather together. So wherever you're at, however you're listening to this podcast, I pray that this is going to be a great time as we look at a very difficult, um, you know, that's kind of like a, a kind of a weird way of, of phrasing it, but this is a very strange and unusual passage. But I think what is so important is that we have to be able to understand the brevity of the situation, the gravity of it at the same time, because a lot of this stuff is very short-sighted and we just move on. And that's what I'm saying on the front end, but on the back end, the degree, the weight of the tragedy that is before us now in context. And as always, if you've missed any previous podcasts, you can always get it wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you guys do me a favor to leave a review and share it out there on social media. So other people just like you can stand strong in God's word and we could do that together. So I greatly appreciate that in advance. But when you look at the, the, the situation here before us in 1 Corinthians, remember, these are people that came out of the pagan culture. And Paul, remember, is addressing a lot of the key questions they had. Now, we don't know specifically what those questions are. We have an idea, but we don't know how they're phrased because we don't have that letter. And I want to say this because this is very important in context. Paul had written to them previously, even though this is mentioned as 1 Corinthians and he follows up with 2 Corinthians shortly thereafter, he does mention, he does mention in, in this particular passage, this area of the letter that he had written to them before. That is lost, okay? So we got to keep that in context. But when we're going to deal with the, you know, the brevity of a situation to the gravity, to the severity of it, we have to understand what was taking place in the first century and to the degree that this paganistic culture still bearing witness to some of the influences division we talked about doctrine of demons was there being at certain paganistic feasts is there sexual morality in the church going to the temple with prostitutes is there I'm not saying all of them are doing this but my friends, we have to understand the context of how Paul is engaging these newfound believers who left a pagan culture, but are still knee deep in it. Some of them influence, no question. Some of them trying to be both and, but a lot of them trying to break free. So I say that because when we dive right in, you're going to see what I mean. So what we're going to be looking at now is the end of this chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 11, 17 through 34. 
And Paul says there, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. So notice right off the bat, after addressing the head coverings, and again, if you missed that, you can go back and check that out in, in the last podcast. But he addressed the coverings, the issue, that huge debate in verses two through 16. He now turns his attention to another troubling matter. And what is it? Well, they're abusing the Lord's table. So notice if you if we do go back a ways, he's dealing with division in the in the front end of the 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 letter. He's dealing with division that sparks into a lot of controversy in chapter four. Chapter five, he's dealing with sexual morality. He explores that even more in greater detail in six. He deals with singleness and marriage in chapter seven. He deals with idolatry and offering meat to idols and how we are to be above reproach and be a witness to those with a weaker conscience in chapter eight. He goes into chapter nine of how we are to be all things to all people. And again, if you've missed all that, you can check those things out. Then when we get into chapter 10, talking about disobedience and using Israel as an example in their rebellion and the judgments that befall them. See, we, we even though that's chapter 10, we have to understand that context into chapter 11. Because we are to consider the interest of others and we are to glorify God with our lives, with our being. We're not to be boastful. The whole head coverings we talked about, a lot of it for men was showing that they were of elite status, that they were seeking special treatment. So as we looked at all these things and Paul is countering them and showing how we as Christians are to live, when we get into chapter 11 now in verses 17 through 34, and he's going to give these instructions about the Lord's table we're going to see how they're abusing it. In this passage, we're going to see in a minute, it reveals many of the early church members that were in Corinth, they were implementing some practices that they had learned in the pagan temples to the table of the Lord. So we may be removed from the paganism in the first century, but I want some of you guys to think about your upbringing, your influences, and when you came to Christ, how you still had certain mannerisms or certain old behaviors that it took you a while to, to almost retrain your, not only your thinking, but your behavior. I can't tell you how many people I've discipled through the years and what a great joy it's been. But along the way, you would, you, a lot of them would say, you know, it's really hard for me because this is what I was raised to believe as a Mormon, or this is what I was raised to believe as a Catholic and coming to a, a faith in Christ I'm trying to reconcile these things. Okay, so if you've had anything similar to that, you can understand what Paul's going to be doing here. So that's what I wanted to, to lay out before we jump into verse 18. All right, so let's continue here in verse 18. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. And I believe it in part, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus on the night in which he was betrayed took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, this is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. 
In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. So let me just pause there before we finish out the last point here. Now, if you notice, there were several other issues that Paul is addressing. He's mentioning again divisions. And this is something as you go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 3 and 4, he's mentioning this division. Remember, he even went to the Greek where they're saying, I'm a Paul, I'm of Apollos. We have that today. We still have factions and those cause divisions. Even in my line of work in the ministry, being a public speaker and having certain views in my eschatology or soteriology, there are different camps that have certain labels and represent different denominations. And a lot of them are movements. Like when we talk about Calvinism, not everything that Calvinism believes comes from John Calvin, if you will. But many people who say I'm reformed in my theology, they're taking it from a period of the Reformation and they're, they're, it's like a collective of different reformers, right? And so even in that camp, you'll have people who says, well, I'm of Dr. Tim Keller or I'm of Martin Luther, whatever the case may be. And so certainly this was, was, this was happening in the first century. And the Greek word for this division is schismata, where we get the word schism from. Right, And so this schismata, this division in the Corinthian church was causing many issues. And so in, again, in Paul's opening portion of his letter, let me just read it to you. He, this is what he said. Let's go back. And he says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree. So he says, there must be factions among you that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. We'll get to that in a minute. But this is a theme that Paul continues to bring up. And I want you guys just to pause and think, are there divisions in your church? I'm sure there is. Question is, to what degree? Because this is important. If we don't address these things, it will spread like cancer. So Paul's appealing to them in the name of Jesus Christ to agree. Now, this doesn't mean agree on everything when it comes to even relative things or preferential things, like what's your favorite coffee, what's your favorite ice cream kind of stuff. He's talking about agreeing in the Lord as Christians and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. And as I said earlier, this is what Paul says, remember the beginning of his letter, for it has been reported to me by Chloe's people that there is quarreling among you my brothers. What I mean is that each one of you says, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, or I follow Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? So here's what's interesting. So we know division, we get the Greek word, you know, the Greek word there is schismata. Now this word factions, when he says, for there must be factions among you is heresias. And it carries this idea of willfully choosing to draw a line, to make a distinction independent of authority. My friends, dare I say that some of the denominations that we have today that profess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and, and hold fast to the infallibility of God's word and believe in the second coming and 
don't tarnish in any way, shape, or form the triune Godhead. But there's factions among them because they draw a line on secondary issues. Now, when Paul says there must be factions among you in order that you're genuine, what he's saying is that the only good that comes out of factions sometimes is it actually reveals the people who are faithfully following God and are uplifting the church. And I'm sure maybe you've experienced that. I certainly have as a pastor. When there are divisions, when there are factions, when people are drawing a line of certain things, you get to see uh, people's motives. You get to really see what they're made of. And so in the early first century church, when you're now talking about these factions that are dealing with the Lord's Supper, we have to understand the context because in our world today, depending on what denomination you're a part of, and by the way, let me just say, I strongly, it's my opinion as I hold to the word of God that having communion as the centerpiece of the worship service on the Lord's day is vitally important. And I wish more churches, different type of denominations that do it once a month or once a quarter, I don't know where they got that from, but when we see scripture, even like as we're looking at right now, the gathering of God's people is centered around the preaching of God's word from the hymns, whatever is sung, the worship songs to fellowship is centered on what Christ has done for us. And we always, as we gather, we partake of it to, to, to remember what he's done and to also hold fast to the promise that he's going to return. So when you look in the earth, early first century here, they're sharing meals together. But here's the thing in that culture at that time, even like today in the West, when you invite somebody over, I mean, it's that's, you're being hospitable, but it, it was far more meaningful and meant so much more in that time. Because when you shared a meal, you, it was, it was extending to this person, a contract. It was actually a sign that both parties, the host and the person or family invited, they were accepting one another in a shared bond. So to not be invited or to be disinvited was actually one of the greatest insults that you could possibly do was to disinvite someone. And what was happening was during these gatherings, call them dinners at whatever time of the day, they were causing division because what was happening was they were representing these factions based on who's invited, who's coming to the party based on whom, like who's, who's the one that's doing the, in the invitations. And usually the ones who invited and these larger crowds obviously were more wealthy because they had bigger homes and they had more food and more uh, servants to take care of their guests. And so this represented a class or a status in the society. So not to be invited to a lavish banquet communicated that you were at the bottom of the social class. So even though you didn't get an invitation or, or this wealthy family, this prominent family in the community of the church is, let's say, unaware of you and therefore you're not invited, it says because it, that what it communicated was you're not important. Now, if you were invited, get this, if you were invited by this wealthy, prominent family, then as you come in, it's all about where you sit at the table. So your seat at the table in proximity to the host, it conveyed now your rank in society. 
So you have outcasts, people who are not invited, people who are of a lower class, it would never be invited, to now having people who are invited, but just like anything, there's always going to be somebody better than you. There's always going to be somebody more wealthy than you. There's always going to be somebody more famous or influential than you. So if your guest placed you in a less desirable spot at the table and you received, get this, a cheaper wine. So now you're at the table and the further away you are from the host would imply that you're not as important as you thought when you came in. And then not only that, but as you're partaking of the meal, you're not really engaging the host on certain conversations because you're not that important. When you look at the whole, you know, grand scheme of things in the pecking order. And you're also drinking cheaper wine. So the servants would be serving you cheaper wine than the ones closer to the host who get the best wine. So then people who are not, who are invited, they would complain. And that would even cause problems. The Expositor's Bible Commentary says, quote, the Christian common meal, or known as the Agape Feast, apparently follow the pattern of public sacred feasting among the Jews and Greeks. The food was brought together for all to share, kind of a potluck supper, with the rich bringing more and the poor less. As Paul describes it, however, cliques were established and the food was divided inequitably. The rich took their lion's share and became gluttons, and the poor remained hungry. So they were bringing contempt on the church of God and humiliating the poor, end quote. All right, now we have context as to what is going on here. Not in our Western mind, if you live in the West, and even in some of the uh, European cultures, right? So just as Paul was correcting earlier, in chapter, in, in the early portion, I should say, in, in, in 1 Corinthians 11, not to be seeking special treatment by putting a covering over their head. Remember that? During the worship service and drawing attention on them. In the same way, Paul's condemning the elite social gatherings. The Lord's Supper was to unite the Christian families together, not divide them. Paul's list of rhetorical questions here. And, and again, oftentimes when he did that, when he's posing, opposing uh, a position, he would lay out rhetorical questions. You see this frequently in the book of Galatians, his first letter. And the reason why he did it was because he's pointing out that fellowship with Christ is about being united as one when you come to the Lord's ta table. The, the triune Godhead is one. Jesus the night in which he was betrayed in his priestly prayer in John 17 was he prayed to the father that we would become one as they are one. That does not mean we become gods. It has nothing to do with becoming the essence of God. It's about being one mind in one mind to be united together. And so the Lord's table, what it represents when you are surrounding the Lord's table, and this is a great reminder for churches. This is why I think we need to, and I hate to say this, but we need to emphasize, we need to, we need to set the Lord's table at our worship services every time, because if you've come to know Christ as your Lord and Savior, you're a child of God. It doesn't matter what your color is. It doesn't matter what your occupation is. It doesn't matter what your social status is. It doesn't matter what your gender is. 
What matters is that you belong in the household of God. And so all these factions, all these divisions, and then abusing the Lord's table where people get the best of things and the poor keeps getting poorer. So the Lord's table overrules the social standings in the culture. Isn't that powerful? But that's not what was happening here. So what does Paul do in verses 23 through 26? He recalls what he had received from the Lord and he lays out the night in which Jesus was betrayed at the Passover meal when he broke the body, the bread representing his body. They took the cup that represents the new covenant of his blood. All right, let's break this down. What does it all mean? Why does Paul do this? Well, for several reasons. First, we have to understand that the Greek word that Paul uses for received, when he says, I received from the Lord, it has two verbs here. And they do not mean a direct revelation. So when you're looking at the verbiage, if you will, peril lombono, it's, it's not receiving a direct revelation, but rather receiving information that's been transmitted from one person to another. Okay? So, Understanding the, the usage that Paul lays out here, this verbiage, perhaps Paul learned these sayings and these traditions from Peter. Peter was in the upper room. And we know, according to Galatians chapter 1, verse 18, that Paul had spent 15 days in his early days as an apostle. And so it's it, more than likely Peter probably and others when Paul had spent time with the council of Jerusalem led by the half-brother of Jesus, James, that he learned these things in, in, in perhaps understanding communion, the Passover meal, which literally just means after supper. So the bread um, here at the Passover meal is identified. Notice this is what the people don't understand, especially Gentiles is that the bread of the Passover meal is known as the bread of affliction. And the bread of affliction was what their ancestors endured until they were delivered from the bondage of Egypt. So when Jesus was taking the bread, he was afflicted for us. When he took the cup, this would have been the third, some people think the fourth cup in the Passover meal, Luke 22, 14 through 18. And this significance here, this particular cup in the, in the proper order during the Passover meal represents the covenant of redemption that's marked by the blood of Jesus. And we actually see this in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 13, where Paul says, Therefore, remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise. Having no hope and without God in the world, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were, who were far off have now been brought near by the blood of Christ. So notice how this applies to what Paul's conveying to the Corinthians factions runs contrary to Christian doctrine. Christ united us. You had the uncircumcised with and the, and separate from the circumcised. You had the Gentiles and you had the Jews. Remember you had males in that culture who are more prominent than the females. Christ who 
you know, when he came in the world, we were alienated from that. He says, we were strangers of the covenant of promise. There was no hope. But, verse 13 of Ephesians 2, now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. That's what the Lord's table represents. That's the reminder every time we take of it. The, the biblical theology study Bible says, as Passover eventually led to the covenant at Sinai, Jesus' last supper with his disciples initiated the events that led to his death and resurrection in the inauguration of the new covenant. So when we come together as a church, it's the new covenant. We're in the new covenant. If you look at the, the Mosaic covenant, that's the old covenant. And the prophet Jeremiah, remember, he prophesied in Jeremiah 31, 30, 31 through 34 about the new covenant, that we would be given a new heart. And here's what's interesting, my friends. And this is how easily we can forget things when it starts being about us, about what music we want, about what kind of messages we want to hear and, and the people that we don't want to be a part of our church versus the people we do want to be a part of our church. We then forget, if we do this, we forget the covenant that has brought all of us together. So let's take it a step further when we're talking about the new covenant that Jesus presented to us in establishing his church, his bride, the body of Christ. There's two words that talk about covenant. The first one is the Greek word diatheke. In this Greek word, only God extends and fulfills the contract. The other word is syntheke, which is a two-party agreement with equal terms, which is how they conducted business, which goes back to when you're invited to someone's house, you have a bond, you have a partnership with them. You do business with them. You do life with them. When Jesus says, this is the new covenant, my blood is the new covenant, it's diatheke. You, you, there is no mutual agreement. There is no partnership there is no compromise. Hebrews 9, 12 and 13 says this. Jesus is the mediator, right? It says this. He entered once for all into the holy places. Notice he did, not he with us. Jesus entered once and for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, catch this, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. That's the new covenant through what Christ has done, who through the eternal spirit offered himself. And that's when we, when we come together, the Lord's table that unites us, we proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Communion is not only about remembering what Jesus Christ has done for us on the cross, but is also the activity that prepares us for his return. So this unworthy manner that was taking place in verse seven, that they're guilty of, get this, the Corinthians, they were partaking of these meals, like I said, and how all these factions and elitism and, and, you know, how people were you know, sat at the table and what that represented, but they were also filled with arrogance and gluttony. And so their focus was not on Jesus. Their focus was not on the great sacrifice. They were not making sacrifices for the people who were less than them in status. Jesus gave of himself. 
and he forgave mankind. And so the, the Corinthians are guilty for abusing the Lord's table with the wrong intent of their heart. That's why we say to people, hey, if you're in sin and, and you know it and you claim to be a Christian, get right with God first. Don't just take communion just to take it. And just, and even though when, when the Bible's saying here, let a person examine himself, that's what we're saying in verse 28, it's biblical. And then so eat of the bread and drink of the cup for anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body eats and drinks judgment on himself. So it's important that just like what Paul's saying here applies to us today. And, and, and I'm not saying, cause I'm not in every church at every time someone's taking communion. So I can't argue, I can't say factually that there have been people who have abused the Lord's table today and have passed, you know, passed, you know, passed away. I was going to say passed out. I'm sure people have passed out, but we're talking about to the degree here where people have died. And he says, that is why many of you are weak and ill and even some have died. So again, we know that not all sin leads to a result of death or sudden death. But what Paul's saying here is that some of you guys, just like going back to 1 Corinthians 10, when the Israelites faced judgment immediately because they were rebelling against God, there are some people who were defiling the Lord's table and they face illness and some of them even death. And this is a sign of discipline. God's judgment is here to act um, as a way of to discipline us. And, and it's, it's remedial. It teaches God's children to learn from our mistakes. And we don't come before him thinking that we're all that. We are to come in great humility. And then finally, when he says, so then my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone is hungry, let him eat at home so that when you come together, it will be for judgment. It would be not for judgment. About the other things, I will give directions when I come. So to bring resolution to these, this, this division, this, these divisive banquets, if you will, Paul's advising church members to eat at home Prior to coming, don't make a big spectacle. Obviously, feed the, the, the homeless. If you have been given much, you will be held accountable. You need to give and to help people. And when you come to the worship services, you come together as, as like-minded in one accord and you are to receive one another as Christ has received us. That's the focus. And as we come to the Lord's table, it's a reminder of what Christ has done for us. So my friends, as we close, I pray that when you take communion, that you are serious about it, that you're sanctified and set apart, that we're not to abuse it, but we're to be thankful every single time for what he's done for us on the cross and what he's gonna do in making all things new in the future. If you found this to be a blessing and encouragement to you guys, I am so glad to hear that. And I thank you guys for being faithful listeners. For any of you guys out there who find this ministry to be a blessing, I'm gonna ask you guys something very personally. And, and this, it, it really warms my heart and it may be awkward at times, but I love you guys. I love teaching the word and hearing how this is blessing so many people around the world, but we need your support. If you are listening to this podcast and you are growing in the word of God and you have a few dollars that God has blessed you with each month, it could be $5, it could be $25, it could be $100 a month. We prayerfully consider becoming a Stand Strong monthly supporter by going to standstrongministries.org. Click on the donate button. It's tax exempt. We are nonprofit status, but we are able to fuel this podcast and reach the world through the faithful support, prayers, and giving of people just like you. 
So join the family, become a monthly supporter. And let me just say, thank you guys in advance. I love you. I'm so appreciative of that. So until next time, you guys keep standing strong in the word of God. Oh, 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 oh,